1: You're listening to the best of Kevin Inquiry on 93.5 and
2: 107.5. The Fan. Uh, Scott Agnes is about to join us here. Fieldhouse Files. Um, yeah, I think I pointed out, what was that? Uh, the comeback against Chicago. Aaron Neesmith was big in that game, but boy, he has struggled here big time in the month of January. You know, kind of an expanded role, of course, with Tyrese Halliburton out. Andrew Nemhard has been out 30% from the floor, 25% from three here. And again, two of his last 22 from the floor. Pacers not won a road game in over a month. To talk more about that, Scott Agnes is here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Scott, good morning. Good morning. Uh, are we thinking that Tyrese Halliburton is still going to be an all-star? And when do we get word on that? I was kind of curious about that.
3: Yeah, I I think so. So tonight, the starters along with the captains, and the captains will likely be LeBron and Giannis, It's the top two vote-getters on each team. Those will be announced on a a TNT pregame show. Um, I I, I believe Tyrese will be an all-star flat out just because the the reserves are voted on by the coaches. And just hearing head coaches talk about the Pacers before the game and and then – them obviously dealing with the Pacers preparing for them, all that and seeing what this team has been like without Tyrese, I don't, I'm not sure how he's not part of that group now being a starter, I think it's a long shot just because fans have 50% of the vote and that 50% is usually a popularity contest so, you know um, I, I'm not sure it'd go his way but uh, you'll find out I believe the, re- the reserves will then be next Thursday
2: got it, okay, I was curious about that, which honestly, next Thursday, that might be the first time we see him uh, back on the floor. Lakers and Kings coming up next Thursday and Friday. Again, Scott Agnes with us from Fieldhouse Files. Scott, you know, I had thought about turning away from the game l- late last night. You know, UConn Xavier is a great finish. You know, Butler was underway. Indiana was underway. For some reason, I decided to stay with it. And all of a sudden, I see Miles Turner with less than a minute to go in kind of an awkward play. Um, You go down with a right foot ankle injury, he asked to come out initially, and then he stayed in. He actually kind of looked fine to me on the next defensive possession, but then eventually went out, uh, goes over to the bench, they take off his shoe, and then I think he walked back to the locker room. Um, Did we get any update on that, slash, is that right foot, right ankle, was that the same foot of the issues he's had the last couple of years?
3: Yeah, so we did. We did not get any update, uh, unfortunately, post game um, from Rick Carlisle. But I would agree. It's it, it didn't. I mean, it's hard to obviously evaluate from sure. afar. But uh, it did not have initially. I don't think look anything too serious because the fact that he, to his credit, finished out the next play and got a got a stop. And uh, it was funny. I thought it was a block. I credited him with a. Uh, with a steal on that one. But nonetheless, yeah, he did come out. And no, it, it, it was the, the stress reaction was in his left foot. This okay. one looked like his right foot when he stepped on uh, uh, an opposing player's foot last night. I don't think it's serious, but we did not get any kind of update.
4: Scott, when we look at, Kevin and I were just talking about the fact that You know, Nimhard kind of hit a wall there. Neesmith has struggled. Duarte went through a stretch where he he really struggled. Kevin brought up a good point. I wanted to run it past you. Have the Pacers gotten kind of an opportunity here maybe in the last month as they are looking at this nucleus of players that they are building on? Have they gotten a pretty good indicator as to who are guys that are capable of being the guy when injuries – Necessitate it, and who are guys that are always going to need to be a Robin? Does that make sense?
3: Yeah, I think more than anything, Jake, they just got a reality check, and and you'll appreciate this because um the, the comparison. But remove removing Tyrese from the equation, I think, has kind of demonstrated how much perhaps he was covering up, much like we in this town were used to Peyton covering things up. And, you know, all those different kinds of things. And so I think with Tyrese being away from it, um, that you, you really see some of the flaws on the roster. Um, that I think it's, it's, it was a helpful and has been a helpful reality check of, you know, in late game situations, it's been Tyrese. Well, it can't only be Tyrese and um, how, how important he had been uh, especially those first like five games back to, or, or away, I should say, to get Buddy involved. Like without Tyrese, Buddy looked like a shell of himself for a while. Like he was he was missing his sidekick out there. Um, and and what I mean, I am curious. You mentioned Neesmith. Smith. He's dealing with a sore right wrist. He hadn't made a, a shot in a couple of games, so I do wonder how much that, if at all, is impacting you know that uh, his shooting performance. And then in terms of Nemhard, yeah. It does feel like giving him an extra responsibility. Remember, all season they've been having him on, as the top defender. He's taking on that biggest assignment, the bigger guy. Well, now they're trying. They try have tried to add, you know, him being the, the the point guard and having the top assignment there. And I think that's that's asking a lot of any player. Um, so I'm not too surprised that he hadn't necessarily looked at full strength there just because that's a big ask
2: Scott Agnes from Fieldhouse Files is with us here on the Payless Lakers Hotline Scott if I were going to make out a list of things that have been encouraging this season and things that have been disappointing you would have or I would have an overwhelming majority on the encouraging side versus the disappointing side on the disappointing side though I've got one that in my mind is pretty clear above the rest you have any idea where I would be going with that one
3: I know I would go. It's the Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith department. What about you?
2: Great minds think alike. Um, Yeah, and I don't know if Goga deserves to be slotted in with those two, but basically to summarize what you and I are thinking with that, no young big guy has emerged. And I think that is what adds to the confusion. I've got birds on each shoulder about the Miles Turner situation and you see him go down last night and, and boy, if this is anything long-term or it's going to impact the trade deadline, it's such a bummer because again, Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith, and a little bit of Goga, none of them have stepped up like you've had maybe some guards emerge.
3: Yeah, that, that's been the real disappointment I'd say is, is, is how they've been used is the lack of clarity there. I mean, it's, it's very difficult, I think, to go from promising a guy a starting role to kind of out of the rotation or, or inconsistent. What it seems like is going on is just on a game-by-game basis, generally one of those two, Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith, is going to play, but not really both anymore. Maybe that's allowing that, that individual to get more playing time rather than splitting 15 minutes. Let's give one one guy 15 minutes. But I, I thought this would be the season where certainly one of them, perhaps both, would really get significant regular minutes. And I guess I mean by that 15, 20 minutes each. Um, and you'd really be able to figure out that position and which one would be maybe a starter moving forward. Um, could you start both? Would one of them become... A possible trade asset but uh yeah that that's been the number one thing that's that's really st- stood out to me like a sore thumb because you just haven't gotten as much clarity on that situation in this season again going back to the beginning that was supposed to be that is about growth and development right it, it has not been in that front
4: scott a guy that is intriguing to me also about with the pacers is and i know he's a fan favorite and i get it tj mcconnell right um at the beginning of the year, the Pacers were pretty bullish on, hey, TJ McConnell's a guy that is always going to have a spot in this organization, like even in the front office when he's done playing. And it felt like he was a guy that could have an impact in limited roles because he kind of flew under the radar, off the radar type thing. And that the more he was out there, the more eventually you were going to find out why he was a number three point guard. And now I feel like we've sold him short and that he is one guy that that when he gets minutes, it's like teams don't have a scouting report on him and they're like, where'd this guy come from? Can he can cons- continue to play reliably for them? I know he's no Halliburton, don't get me wrong, but as his number is called, can he continue to sustain a high-level play game in and game out, or is he, in fact, what we thought he was at the beginning of the year?
3: Yeah, that's a good point, and I think, I think it's to a certain extent... Uh, two games ago against Chicago, I think he played 41 minutes. That's tough on any guy, but especially to, uh, DJ who's not used to that workload. And also what makes him special is that hard play and how how Just constant how motor, plays. right? Constant motor. Yeah. You cannot have that motor, I don't think, for 41 minutes. It's, it's pressuring full court. It's stealing the inbounds class. It's diving on the floor. I mean, That's, he, he's eight for eight last night. It's like, you know what I mean? I, I do, and I did recognize, though, his minutes were down from the 41, at least. I think it was 33. Um, right. I, I think if you can re- ideally keep him to that 30 and under, then you can really maximize who T.J. McConnell is. If you need him to go more, sure. But he also, I think, had four turnovers last night. Um, and, and so some of that pops up more. But I, I do think people. a lot of people view him, you know, he's an emergency, you know, point guard if necessary you know he's a huge overpay no i I disagree with that especially what he does behind the seams and huddles he's going to be a future head coach i think um more than anything and follow kind of the family business if you will there but uh i'd really like for his minutes to be slightly down therefore what you get from him can be a little bit more
2: Scott Agnes from Fieldhouse Files with the CEO on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Scott, I feel like every time the Pacers play the Magic, and it probably helps that the Magic have had a lottery pick for, what, 20 straight years or something. <laughs>
3: seems like it. They yeah. have
2: just unbelievable length and size. Like, I, I couldn't tell you how many times last night I just counted on one or count on multiple hands, just buckets, and I'm like, I mean, what else can Indiana do? Like, you know, when you watch just their height and length, and I feel like for the Pacers moving forward, that is an area that they, they need to add more of.
3: Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, there's, there's several teams out there that just go after a certain body type, a certain style. Toronto's the other team that absolutely comes to mind with all of that. And they have a lot of those. Uh, but in, in terms of Orlando, yeah. And the biggest thing, even being around guys like this for years now, bull bull is just so unique. Like, I think he's 7'3", and you feel every part of that when you're standing next to him. Um, and, and he's a guy that's had success in, in just small minutes against the Pacers in every game this season. But you're right, last, last game it seemed like you know it was Bull Bull, it was Mo Bamba, it was Wendell Carter Jr. They just relentlessly had those, those bigs. And to your point, the, the area the Pacers need to add is kind of that six foot nine
5: mm-hmm.
2: wing
3: that can do a little bit of everything.
2: I'll ask you this probably next Thursday and again Thursday after that when the trade deadline is here on February 9th. Uh, anything change for you in your opinion on what the Pacers or how the Pacers will operate here over the next two weeks?
3: I think we'll start especially next week to get a better idea of who's actually a seller out there um, and what the market shapes up to be as you get... What? I don't know, more like a week and 10 days out from the trade deadline. But I, I've noticed you've had several scouts from opposing teams, several more, it feels like the normal, checking out the Pacers. Um, and I, I would say the, the guy that more, those teams are interested in or checking out to evaluate, thinking he might be available or they could get him is Chris Duarte. So um, he's a guy that I think long-term for the Pacers would be fantastic as their sixth man. Um, And uh, it's, you know, the the challenge for the team this year has been you're starting Buddy, and so then you're bringing Matherin off the bench, so then what is Chris Vortes' role? So perhaps the Pacers would look to clarify that position at the trade deadline. That's what some teams are at least looking into. Um, But right now, you know, I would still expect – for them to possibly make a move or two even if it's just moving on from goga um and taking on a bad salary or something like that but nothing has, i don't think you know become clear just yet being several weeks out
4: uh kevin you mentioned the phrase birds on your shoulder is that right yeah a couple birds on each shoulder Uh, i I am curious what birds uh, parrots would be a shoulder Uh, scott if you had to have a couple birds on your shoulders what birds would you pick
3: your parents are too I chatty. He was talking the angel devil, but those wouldn't be the birds.
4: Yeah, the angel devil. I, I've heard that. Uh, I get that, right? Uh, I I don't know. I mean, a uh, canary. Yeah, that wouldn't be cardinal. Uh, the state bird. I was going to say cardinal. Yeah, yeah. it's got to be a cardinal, right? A blue jay. I guess blue jays are aggressive. Did you know that they're instigators? Really? Yeah, like that woody woodpecker. He's an instigator.
2: Scott, any idea on Halliburton on the return date? You, I know you mentioned to us last week. This is more elbow than knee. Um, but today is the reevaluation date. Are we looking at Friday or Sunday? Or are we thinking next week?
3: No, I, I don't expect him to play at all this weekend. Um, I, I think if he had it his way, he'd be back in a week. Because look at Friday. Who do they play? It's Sacramento here in Indianapolis. I think if it's up to him and he's feeling good, I think he's going to do everything in his power to be back then however you know there's a lot at stake with him and, and this team and so you know you don't want to rush him back but i think if if he can and is feeling good he'll try to be back at least for friday
2: they just have practice today
3: no it's an off day so the update on tyrese although to be fair they've been good about giving updates along the way with him um i don't think there will be anything substantial other than hey he's doing more he's practice or he's going through parts of practice he's getting shots up and by the way he's knocking down shots so well so um that's a good indicator what i wonder about is you know him taking contact and also with that left hand and dribbling i don't think it's as much the shot it's it's more when you're putting force with that left hand um how how much if at all is that irritating him and that's what he's trying to recover from
4: how about orioles what about an Oriole or a robin i think they're kind of the same thing aren't they would you want either one of them on your shoulders, Kevin? I thought Orioles, they, well, I
2: thought they were different than a Robin. The Oriole on the hat is cool. I mean, Scott, you can hang fun. up at any point, by the way. <laughs> Scott, thank you, as always, for the time. Fieldhouse Files, Scott Agnes.
0: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
3: Thanks, Scott. Thanks, guys.
2: There's something I want to ask that keeper when he joins us here in a few is that question I threw to you, Jake, earlier about. You know, In the Colts' eyes, do you think offensive background or head coaching experience matters more? Basically, if you look at who will represent the respective teams in the Super Bowl, we're guaranteed to have two offensive background coaches. Um, if you go back to 2016, Jake, that was Dan Quinn in the Super Bowl with Atlanta. The only defensive head coach you've had in the Super Bowl in that time span has been Belichick. It's interesting. Like I, This offensive background is not just like a one or two year sort of thing. I mean, it's been...
4: Okay, does Jim Irsay get swayed by the fact that when Jim Irsay won the Super Bowl, what was the background of the coach?
2: Sure, it's a fair point to I bring I realize up. to Obviously, you and NFL I that game. was a million
4: years ago, right. but to Jim Irsay it was yesterday.
2: And again, Jake, in NFL world, that was a billion years ago. You know, Ricky Williams and, and Edron James are not being drafted where they were drafted you know, in, in in that era anymore. I mean, hell, the days of Ezekiel Elliott going in the top five are not going to be happening. Uh, let's sneak Jeff in before we get to Zach Keeper. Jeff's got the Chiefs over the Bengals?
6: Uh, yes, sir. I just kind of want to emphasize on, you know, just how dominant the Chiefs have been over the last few years. Um, keep in mind that Burrow is still on that rookie contract. Um, you know, so it is a little easier for Cincinnati to have all these weapons around them, uh, but when it comes down to it, the Bengals aren't going to get it done on Sunday and then it's time to, uh, put on your big boy pants and decide who you're going to sign and for how much and who you need to let go. Mahomes looked pretty good yesterday without the boot on, right? Uh, we would like to think so, but to me, I've seen, I've seen him a little gingerly doing warmups and a little high kicks, but... Nothing's going to keep him down, and from you know, from what uh, Juju says, the game plan, you know, Reed's going to have that game plan to keep things interesting and keep Cincinnati on their heels. So,
4: Jeff, I you're think. a Chiefs fan, obviously, right? Uh, yes, sir. Have you been to a game at Arrowhead? Uh, I lived out there for seven years, and I uh, still go out to uh, one a year.
6: I was at the Bill's Chiefs playoffs game last year.
4: Wow. Are you a Royals fan? Quite
2: the game to go to.
6: Uh, I'm, I'm a huge, huge Cubs fan. Um, the Royals, I guess, would be my American League team. Okay, that's cool. Give us a score, Jeff, for Sunday. Uh, it's going to be 27-24, except it's going to be the Chiefs over the Bengals this time.
2: 27-24, Jeff says. You know, he brings up a point about their weapons. You know, how Cincinnati obviously defends Travis Kelsey speaks for itself. Boy, it's Jacksonville? Do you have <laughs> issues. But again, who else steps up? Is it Juju? Is it, you know, McCall Hardman's health has been an issue? You know, some of these other wideouts of, um, you know, Kadarius Toney they got late in the year. And it'll be really interesting, I think, just the supporting cast around Kelsey. Jarek McKinnon's been a revelation. Jarek McKinnon's been huge out of the Mm -hmm. backfield. Um, We saw Pacheco, the rookie from Rutgers, have a huge play in that game against Jacksonville as well. But man, Cincinnati just. The variety of weapons they have. It's such a difference. Such a difference. I mean, hell, Samaji Pirine's kind of been a nice find as a running back when Mixon's been out. I mean, Jake, they had Mixon out, I think, for two games, won both. They had Jamar Chase out for four, and they won three of those four. I mean, that is the depth of your skill group
4: stepping up. There is something about Burroughs also just his swagger. Is that the right word? He has a confidence yep. that I think just exudes to everybody else, where he just looks locked in, man. It is a swagger,
2: un- unquestionably.
4: And just looks locked in, and, and always looks like he is ready for whatever comes his way. And I think that that kind of just automatically, you know, carries over to his teammates. Uh, joining us now in the Payless Sickers hotline as he is kind enough to do talking about the Colts and always is locked in at The Athletic, talking about Zach Kiefer. Zach, I'll begin by asking you this question that I posed to Kevin earlier. I realize that there are only so many head coaching opportunities in the National Football League, and so those that are being interviewed are probably going to take whatever opportunity comes their way. But if for whatever reason the Colts find themselves Uh, offering or interested in a candidate that is also getting interest from other franchises, is there any chance that candidates could be kind of turned off with Indianapolis because they go through an interview with Chris Ballard, then they see Jim Irsay and Jim Irsay's daughters, which that is absolutely their right as the owning family of the Colts involved. But is it possible that a candidate could say, there just seem to be a lot of chefs in the kitchen and I'm not sure who I'd be answering to.
5: Yeah, I think I think that's good advice from their agent, right? If they're negotiating this potential deal. And I think they really have zeroed in sort of on two types of candidates right now. And we'll see what happens early next week after the conference title games and expect the Colts to bring in a couple more for second round interviews. But there's the young up-and-coming coach You know, a coach that would really be a gamble in a lot of ways. You don't know what it's going to look like. They're likely going to have to grow into the job. You know, I mean, you go to Zach Taylor in Cincinnati, and he won like six combined games his first couple years. I think Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco won 10 combined games his first two years. So, you know, those are the bets you make, and then you have to live with that. So those guys, to answer your question, Jake, I imagine they'd be ready to take the chance. They'd be ready to jump in. Now, the other type of candidate the Colts have zeroed in on are the much more experienced candidates. You know, Raheem Morris, Dan Quinn. You know, Dan Quinn's probably going to have options, right? And there's a very real conversation that he needs to have with potential coaches that would be coming here and also his agent and also with himself to a degree about what's happened in Indianapolis the 12 months because everybody in this league knows. Everybody knows what happened in Indianapolis, and the decisions that were made and who made those decisions. It's a very real factor, and honestly, they'd be dumb not to consider that as they walk into this job.
2: Zach Keeper's with us from The Athletic. Zach, a question I was asking Jake a little bit earlier, and I'll throw it to you. Whether it's Chris Ballard and or Jim Irsay, in their eyes, what do you think matters more, offensive background with a candidate or head coaching experience?
5: That's a really good question, KB. Uh, I'm going to go offensive background. I don't think they're necessarily married to the idea of hiring a coach with head coaching experience. Um, look at this. Look at these numbers, right? So, last two years, nine of the top ten scoring offenses made the playoffs. Nine of the top ten both years, and the two teams that didn't make it were one game out. Of the 16 teams to make the divisional round the last two years, so eight this year, eight the year before, only three, only three have been led by defensive-minded head coaches. Two of those are Sean McDermott with the Bills both times, and then you had Mike Vrabel last year. So it's, no cle- it's, 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 not, it's not you know a secret. I'm not breaking news that this is an offensive league. But what's broken with the Colts right now? They're 32nd in red zone. They were 32nd in offensive scoring. They were 29th in third downs. I could go on and on, but everybody out there that's listening to your show, watch this team and watch how bad they were on offense, and what are you going to do in April? You're going to draft a quarterback with the top four pick, maybe higher. You need to go get an offensive coach, and you need to grow around this quarterback. That's just my opinion, um, but look, the, the candidates they're bringing in right now, row, every row out of Denver, Raheem Morris, Dan Quinn, those guys are defensive coaches, so I'm not sure what we'll see next week, but I'd expect to see some offensive names this team cannot ignore the fact that they've been terrible in offense the last 18, 19 games going back to the end last year. And they need to fix it because the situation you put this rookie quarterback in is very,
4: very important. Zach, rate right for me 1 to 10, 10 being the most, obviously, 1 being the least. The level at this point of candidacy for Jeff Saturday. Yeah,
5: I mean. I'm I'm, not, I'm I'm gonna hold firm on this. I think it's a five or a six, Jake. As long as Ursay's in running this team, Jeff's got a chance. I think he's gonna be in this until the end. Jim Ursay doesn't usually get involved in this process based on the past until the second round of interviews, until the face to face interviews. He has always had his GM run the search, and these are Jim Ursay's words. I have never superseded my GM on their coach, on their pick, on their recommendation. Now, we know what happened four months ago, three months ago, whenever it was. That changed. That was an interim situation. That was the middle of the season. That's a little bit different. This is completely different, right? Fourteen interviews, which is more than any team's done in at least the last four years. If Chris Ballard comes to him with a recommendation that's not Jeff Saturday, which I fully expect to be the case, I don't think Ballard's going to recommend Saturday. Does Jim Merced break 30 years of precedent, 30 years of what he's preached to bring back a coach that went 1-7 and, and had a negative 87 point differential and really saw no tangible progress in any area for this team? I just don't think he does. But I don't think he does. I'm not ruling anything out, though.
4: Kind of a unique curveball or asterisk to the equation, but could... Could you say, like when when Josh McDaniels backed out, was it Frank Reich or Chris Ballard that selected, uh, excuse me, Jim Ursay or Chris Ballard that selected Frank Reich?
5: Yeah, Ursae got more involved the second time, for sure. Um, Bill Polian had a call with him, and he recommended Reich. And, and, and it's not to say that Ballard didn't want Reich as well. So Ursay was more involved, but I think Ballard was sold on Reich as well.
2: Zach Kiefer from The Athletic with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Zach, I guess one more on the Saturday front before we we move on. Uh, you get tagged in the same tweets that you know I get tagged in a lot of times. I mean, the fan venom towards a Jeff Saturday hire is really through the roof. I mean, hell, you've got this petition going around that I think has over a thousand signatures. You know, hashtag, you know, whatever, Saturday leave. We've seen Jim Irsay listen or acknowledge social media influence from fans before, whether that was Chuck Pagano, whether that was T. Y. Hilton and his free agency. Do you think Jim Ursay sees that and do you think he cares one way or the other about it?
5: That's a good question. I think and I wrote this in my story yesterday, you know, he absolutely sees it. Like to 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 think he doesn't is just naive. Now, does it impact the decision? We're gonna have to wait and find out, but this would be a different answer in probably 30, 31 other NFL cities. But right. here, it, it actually is a real thing. And social media has had some impact on the decisions this team has made in the last couple of years, not, not being the deciding factor for sure. But there's no way that he doesn't see that. And there's no way he doesn't care. He does care. He does care about the pulse of his fan base. He's a very unique owner. And I think he wears his heart on his sleeve, for better or for worse, and at the very end of the day, Colts fans will never question whether or not Jim Irsay wants to win. But I think that's what the crux of all of this is, is they don't believe this team is going to win. And some of the comments I've gotten are, are startling. Like people who have rooted for this team their entire lives are saying they would just stop caring about the Colts if they move in that direction with Jeff Saturday. And there's the petition, like you said, that has over a 1,000 signatures probably in 24 hours or so it's a really strong movement. Now, will it be the deciding factor? No, because Chris Ballard is going to have a say in this. And again, he's going to probably not side with Jeff Saturday based on a lot of other reasons, well, many of which you've talked about on your show. But to say that Jim Say doesn't see it and isn't aware of it, I just don't buy that. I just don't believe that. That'll be a fascinating conversation if and when they decide who to hire. How much of a role did that play in it? Because um, I know for a fact that he sees this stuff.
4: They're kind of painted into a corner, Zach, in this capacity. I I mentioned this to Kevin earlier. Let's say that they hire, you know, insert name, Dan Quinn. Right, I'm just throwing a name out there. And so the press conference, the question is going to be posed to Chris Ballard and Jim Ursay How much did the fan backlash or threat of backlash factor in your decision to go away from Jeff Saturday? And at that point, you're kind of painted into a corner, right? Because you either say, I don't care about what the fans had to say. Or you say, <laughs> yeah. yeah, actually the fans influenced the decision. And either way, leaves you a little bit of a weird taste in your mouth, right? Yeah,
5: that's that's awkward. I've thought about that. Like, how do you ask that question? I'll tell you this. Ballard, Ballard doesn't care. Like, Ballard's not thinking about what the fans want. Ballard's, I mean, let's let's remember here. This is a GM that's trying to save his job. Correct. He's got his job for next year, but that's another thing I keep going back to. And, 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 and trust me, Chris, is he's locked in on this. Um, he's trying to save his job for the next couple of years, and if he gets this coach right and if he gets this quarterback right, everything could change for him in Indianapolis. If he gets it wrong, I think we know how that ends. So that's another reason that I just I just can't come to the reality. I just can't come to the thinking that, a guy who's trying to save his job is going to recommend a coach that he didn't want in the first place and that went 1-7 and was mostly abysmal over those eight games. I just can't imagine that scenario. And then you bring in the wild card, that being the owner. I can't imagine the owner, who knows football despite the last 12 months, who knows what it takes to win in this league, forcing upon a coach that this GM didn't want the first time, forcing him on him a second time that's just terrible management and again i wrote this the other day it would be it would be catastrophic for this team because of who you're bringing in in terms of a quarterback in the spring so that's a good that's a good question jake and and i think if i asked that question at the press conference whenever they hire a coach I think I'm gonna ask Ursay because you never know what's gonna come out.
2: <laughs> That's an understatement. Zach Keeper from the Athletic getting with us here on the Payless Slickers hotline. Zach, I believe you uh, indicated in your latest piece Raheem Morris had a really strong first interview. Obviously it's it's pretty tight lipped and again Jim Ursay now is starting to get involved here when these second interviews take place. Um have you heard of anyone else that maybe has left a good, you know, early impression on the Colts?
5: Yeah, it's been mostly tight-lipped. Um, that's really the only like tangible evidence I'm good reporting at this point is that Raheem Morris had a good interview, and that was from both sides. So, obviously, it wasn't a surprise that he got a second one. I have no doubt Dan Quinn interviews well, I mean, with his pedigree, with his success in Dallas, et cetera. Um, but, e. Everett, obviously, he's interviewing well because everybody wants him back for a second interview. So, that's interesting, but... Um, Man, what would you guys pay to be on the wall for the Jeff Saturday interview? Like, I would love to hear his pitch.
2: Someone texted us earlier and said, i just picturing Jim Ursay in the interview saying, Oh, great point, Jeff. Very smart. <laughs> yep, yep, I agree. And Chris Ballard, you know, looking like Chris Ballard typically looks. I've got a, I think his pitch, settings.
4: Zach, Jeff Saturday's pitch. His pitch probably rips
2: Chris Ballard, right? His, almost his, like
4: his pitch actually. Your culture's terrible. Is the Dan Orlovsky tweet. I think that Jeff Saturday Jeff Saturday was and this is what I think we can't overlook Zach and feel free to tell me you think I'm totally wrong here but I think that Jeff Saturday's opinion or thought process on what was being asked of him and in that interim eight game level in his eyes, is different than what it is when you are the full-time coach, and I think his pitch is going to be, look, you brought me in here because deep down, let's be honest, guys, we all knew that the season was a wash and that you wanted to try different things, and you needed me to come in to inventory the personnel to try to instill a culture of accountability and to find guys that were getting back to the hotel too late on Saturday night, and that's what I did. I did what you asked me to do. Now you want me to start coming up with game plans with a staff that I will work with as opposed to that begrudgingly inherited me or had me airdropped in on them. So let me show you what I can do when I now have my hands on the wheel as opposed to having it be the automated Tesla and I'm simply there to make sure it doesn't hit curbs. That's what his sales pitch is going to be.
5: You're, yeah, Jake, you're absolutely right. It's it's He's selling a vision. He's selling the idea Correct. that it will be better if he gets to do it his way. But let's be honest. Say this much for Jeff Saturday. He, he didn't lie. Like, when he came in here, he was real with us. When he took the job in November, November 8th or 9th or whatever it was, he said, look, I understand how this works. I'm going to be judged on wins and losses, and that's how this works. And then at the end of the season, his story changed. It was, well, you know, I didn't have a full coaching staff and everything was set up with Frank and it wasn't very good. And there was this organizational push to blame a lot of the stuff on the guy that wasn't there anymore. And that was Frank Wright. And then secondly, Jake, the problem I have with that is obviously he's pitching a vision. It'll be different if I have the whole time to set it up. It's just how I want, right? What are these other guys selling? They're selling results. Like, I'm just going to throw some names out there, but like, they're selling real tangible improvement, like yeah. Shane Steikens. like Not first quarter leads. Oh, my gosh. Don't get me started. But, like, I made Jalen Hurts an MVP candidate in 15 months. Like, Matt Kafka. You know, I'm just throwing out names. Like, I made Daniel Jones a good quarterback. And easy River Like, we had Russell Wilson, and they couldn't score more than 10 points in the game, and our defense was still humming. And Dan Quinn and what he did in Dallas, like... That's matters in this league. Like, you got to get guys to buy in because they've done it before and they have a track record of proving that they can make players better and teams better. This doesn't even have that, and that's a really hard sell in my mind because it's a gamble. No matter what you're doing, it's going to be a gamble, but when you know this guy's never done it before at that level, like in any capacity, that's just reckless in my opinion.
4: Zach, has Jeff Saturday's complication of his legacy with Colts fans – Made it so that Jeff Saturday might well be the last member of the old band that agrees to come back to work for the organization? That's a
5: good question, Jake. I Boy, everything could change if he gets the job, right? It just
4: changes everything. Yeah, if he I doesn't think, get it, I mean, if he doesn't get it, I'm sorry. Like, in other if words. If he doesn't get it, I think this is a bad dream that everybody forgets, don't you guys? Except for just.
2: I don't think Jeff Saturday is working in any other capacity other than
4: head coach. No, I agree with that. I agree, but what I'm saying is, and I don't know who it would be. I mean, Peyton Manning is the one that fans I know are always like, is Peyton going to come back and work? No, he's he's not. He's not coming. But, and especially now, right? Because if there was ever even like a 1% chance, which I don't think there was, but if there was, doesn't Peyton Manning look at the... The dip in legacy or standing amongst the fans of the Indianapolis Colts about Jeff Saturday, who was a beloved figure, and now all of a sudden, like fans have turned on him, wouldn't you say? Like, look, I'm—they got a statue of me. I want to leave it. I want to stop while I'm ahead. Isn't that what any yeah. player would say now? Especially Peyton Manning. I think
5: Peyton thinks about everything. Actually, totally. I know he does. I've talked to him about this, and you know, the one thing is in Peyton—these his words—he was like, "Everyone thinks I'd be a great coach." Peyton doesn't actually think he'd be a very good coach. And this is coming from him. A lot of people, you know, forget this, but like late in games when they were blowing out teams in the preseason or whatever, Dungie and Caldwell would let him call plays for Sorgey or for whoever. And Peyton's like, I was terrible, man. Like I thought I knew the offense and I could do whatever I wanted, and I could when I was on the field. But when it was someone else, it really turned him off of the idea of coaching. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons why he doesn't want to coach because he can't control it like he could on the field. It would be different as a head coach. I understand that. But I, I don't think he's going to coach at all in this league. And from a managerial perspective, I don't, I don't think he's going to come back and work for the Colts at all, Jake, to answer your question. I think part of it is what you said about the legacy and, and stuff. Like I also think he really likes what he's doing, which is kind of a little bit of everything. And like you said, he's not losing. Like he's not losing games. His legacy is not getting hurt at all by what he's doing. And he's kind of just this ambassador of football. Like, what a what a pretty good job if you can get it.
4: I think it's really hard for p- players that were great, instinctive players that know the game in and out. It's really hard for them that have an incredible drive and work ethic. Right. It's really hard for them to coach because they then realize that they assume everyone is wired like they. Yeah, they're not going to meet their standard. Correct, and most are not.
5: You can't. Can you coach that? Like, can you really coach yeah, that? I don't think you tough.
2: can. Uh, Zach, before we let you go, just mapping out kind of the next week, I guess your expectation is some second interviews begin to happen kind of today, tomorrow, over the weekend, and then with some championship coaching candidates, the teams yeah, we see they, on Sunday yeah, early I, next week.
5: I there, Nothing's going to happen until February. I know that in terms of a hire. So I would expect some requests to go out on Monday. That's the first time they can – have a second interview with some of these coaches that are still coaching in these playoff games. And they've got requests out, or at least they talked to coaches from three of the four teams that are still in the playoffs. So they're not done yet, and it's crazy. Their their finalist list, their second-round list, is going to be longer than their initial list the last time in 2018 when they started this process. So they are interviewing everybody under the sun.
4: I know we're up against it, but I'll let either one of you guys answer this for me. I just got a text. It says, Jake, I hate to always text only when I disagree, but you're saying fans have turned on Jeff Saturday, and that's totally wrong. I'm a season ticket holder, and I'm on Facebook. Uh, There's like three (laughs) coaches that I would like to see. Saturday would be all right. Um, Fans seem to be very pro-Jeff Saturday. Your guys' thoughts.
2: Can't say I've been tagged in those tweets.
5: Yeah, I think he's on an island. I'm not saying I haven't seen one or two, but I'm, I'm thinking it's, it's about 95-5 to five right now in favor of the opposite.
2: Zach, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Zach Kiefer, Payless Liquors Hotline. Jake, to that point, I think Nate Atkins from The Star did a poll yesterday on Twitter earlier this week. I think it was 93% were against the hiring of Saturday. Um, yeah, just by... Just kind of a rough estimate of people I see on Twitter. I'd, I'd probably say eight out of every ten, nine out of every ten are against it.
4: Uh, and I get it. When you go to a restaurant and you have a bad meal, you get on the comment section on Yelp. When you go and it's the greatest thing ever, you don't really tell anybody about it. I get it. People that are negative are more vociferous. There's no doubt about it. But, I mean, there's a fan petition that the newspaper's covering. I mean, Mark, what'd I
2: mean, you say? It was like over 1,200? Over Yeah. uh uh-huh. Over 1,200 signatures in less than 24 hours. Uh, just to reiterate, again, head coaching search, we're going to get a little bit more into Ejero uh, Averro, who reportedly is coming in for a second interview. Uh, that comes up in about 15 minutes. Nick Kosmider from The Athletic is going to join us. Uh, but what we're looking at here is Averro, Raheem Morris, Jeff Saturday, potentially Dan Quinn coming in on Saturday for second interviews. All those guys can interview at any point. They Their respective seasons are over. From this weekend, the three offensive coordinators, Brian Callahan, Eric Bieniemy, Shane Steichen, they all could interview as early as Monday with that second interview and anytime next week because uh, the Colts have already interviewed them initially. D'Amico Ryans with the 49ers, that is the one that they cannot talk to until the 49ers season is over. So he's a strong candidate in my eyes. I think uh, you should be rooting for Philly if D'Amico Ryan's going to be open to chatting with the Colts because if they make the Super Bowl, that can't happen until February 3rd.
0: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqal and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in
2: between. Jake, Ajero Vero, I, I guess I hope I'm saying that right. It's kind of been the pronunciation I've gone with here in the last couple of weeks. He was the first outside the building interview. Bubba Ventrone was the first overall interview. And then um, Vero was second. And it sounds like he will be coming in for a second interview with the Colts to get a little bit more background on him. We head to the Payless Slickers hotline. Nick Kosmider from The Athletic joins us. Nick, I guess let's start there. And by the way, thank you for the time, especially early on this Thursday morning. Um, Am I saying that right? Egero Evero? Um, Egero Evero um,
1: is sort of how we've come to know that his name is pronounced. (laughs) But um, yeah, it took us all out here um, uh, just a a little bit to get that right. But yeah, Egero Evero, um, you know, his players and, and fellow coaches called him e um so that that that's oftentimes what he went with was coach e but uh yeah that that's that's the pronunciation
4: how about e squared extra syllable there i need <laughs> there to go. throw one for yeah, the last name you guys could you guys
1: could um if he ends up out there you could kind of uh help him help him get that marketed and uh, get rolling
4: on that nick when it comes to coordinators i i always get a little bit fascinated by this that are coaching candidates You know, it's probably tough for some of us to sit there and look at it and know how much of like the X's and O's they're coming up with, you know, that kind of thing. Do you believe that he's a candidate because Indianapolis and other franchises, for that matter, really see him as like an X's and O's game plan schematic type whiz? Or is it more so being able to assess just overall leadership, confidence, and rallying guys type ability? Yeah, I think it's. Um, I think that's a, the great question, and you know, I, I think it starts the basic
1: foundation of it. Right? Is that he, you know, he kind of runs this this too high safety defense that you're seeing a lot now um, in the NFL that, that was sort of that Vic Fangio um, was the godfather of, and um, you know, e. Igero Evera worked for Vic Fangio and, and has a just kind of a really impressive um, lineage of coaches that he has worked for. Right, Monty Kiffin. Dom Capers, Vic Fangio, um, you know, Wade Phillips, uh, Raheem Morris—some uh, of some of the, you know, kind of the great defensive minds of the last you know twenty twenty-five years. Uh, Evero has gleaned from these guys, so I think that's some of the first things that you see is okay. This this guy has this tree that he's gained a lot. Um, they looked at the performance with, with Denver. Um, you know, it was their best season defensively. Um, since that great 2015 Super Bowl team uh, and the defense that they had, and um, and so I, I think that that's sort of where it starts the evaluation. But um, I'll tell you guys, I've I've covered the, the Broncos for for five seasons, I've covered the Nuggets for three seasons before that. Um, I don't think I've been as impressed with an assistant coordinator or assistant coach slash coordinator um, in my time doing this than more so than I was. Um, with Evero. Uh, he's just very direct in his communication. Um, you know, he doesn't, you know, guys know what they're getting with him. Um, he's accountable. Um, you know, the, the first one to point out, uh, mistakes that he makes in the team room, which, which really I think galvanized players, um, a lot, sort of helps him build that trust early. Um, so he, so he's a really big relationship, relationship builder, um, you know, kind of across the building. And I think it says something that, you know, this is a guy that was part of, you know, something of a of a train wreck overall for the Broncos, right? A five and twelve season that that ended with you know uh, the head coach, who, Nathaniel Hackett, who was a good friend of Everose, getting fired after 15 games, and yet you know every single team in this cycle uh, requested an interview with him because I think. The, the the defensive performance to your point, but also um, he's I think becoming well known as a guy who is um, you know a, a really good leader and and you know really resonates
2: with players. Yeah, I mean, only one year as a coordinator in the NFL, um, something has to stand out outside of that, and boy, it does seem like he's very impressive. I went back, watched a couple of press conferences, and and you're struck by that certainly from him. Again, Nick Kosmider is with us here from the Athletic, Magiero. Um, Evero is the Colts head coaching candidate coming in for a second interview we're getting a little bit more insight into him. Uh I know maybe this isn't the number one most important thing from a head coaching standpoint but he ran a kind of a 3-4 scheme is that correct with Denver?
1: Yeah, he did. Um yep, again so so that that um 3-4 scheme with Um, You know, with the two high safety look, he had a pair of veteran safeties and and Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson. But I I think one of the things that I noted, um, you know, with him and talking to some of the players after the year is guys who have had good seasons in this league felt like they they developed quite a bit under under Evero. Uh, and Justin Simmons is a perfect example, right? This is a guy who has been an all-pro. He's one of the best safeties uh, in the NFL. Well, he, he set a new career high this year with six interceptions, and that was despite missing five games um you know he, he said he just that, that evero kind of um really helped him see a game the a game and the game in a new way um you know just sort of felt like he it simplified things a lot for him and and allowed him to be in places to make to make more plays and so you know you see a guy that's already had success um you know sort of say hey that this just opened up a whole new a uh, whole new avenue for me um you know obviously helped pat sertan um the great young cornerback Um, become a unanimous All-Pro here in his second season. Um, So I I think that was the other part of it. Guys had some of their best career years individually uh, under his guidance
2: yeah and again I point that out Colts have been a 4-3 scheme in the Chris Ballard era so um it would be a a, quite a defensive change and again um Evero could be a defensive coordinator because there's no guarantee obviously he returns to Denver with the firing of Nathaniel Hackett and that staff as far as that opening is concerned um was he a realistic candidate and you know does it appear the national chatter of David Shaw and Sean Payton as the favorites are you hearing that as well
1: well, I think that you know that he was offered the interim job um, when Nathaniel Hackett was fired, and and he turned down that opportunity. I think largely out of again loyalty to to Hackett. The two were you know were college teammates. Um, you know have been you know best friends for for years, and so that was something of a unique situation. And, and I think that that might ultimately um, you know kind of create not what I want to say a division here, but that might be what ultimately has him looking um, for other opportunities, even if he doesn't land a head coaching job. Um, but here I I think, you know, it's been a very interesting search here. Uh, The the Broncos last year, you know, that they were kind of like the Colts. They interviewed 10 candidates. Um, they were very public about who they were interviewing and when, you know, covering a lot of their search on, on social media this year, um, with a new ownership group in place and a much tighter, um, coaching circle, I think only three, um, three uh, people are involved in the search committee. Um, there's been a lot less a lot less information that has sort of leaked out. I think at this point, um, D'Amico Ryans is a guy that I think that the people should really kind of keep an eye on. Again, the Broncos haven't scheduled any second interviews, um, known second interviews to this point. Um, and, and he's a guy that can't be talked to until after Sunday's NFC championship game. Um, you know, so there's some dot connecting going on there. You mentioned David Shaw. There's a lot of connections um, with this ownership group um, and Stanford, right? Uh, Greg Penner, the CEO, and his wife Carrie Walton Penner were both, um, you know, went to graduate school there. Have been on boards at Stanford. Uh, Condoleezza Rice, who is a limited shareholder in this ownership group and is part of the search committee, um, knows David Shaw very well. So, so that that has kind of been, um, you know, a, a name that people are kind of looking at here as well. And then and, and Peyton, until until he actually chooses what he's going to do, it, it seems like everywhere he's kind of a guy outside of Indianapolis. Um, where you say m- maybe he's going to end up there. So it's, it's, it's been an interesting ride. Uh, you try to get every little drop of information um, that, that you can, but uh, hopefully we'll know soon.
4: Nick Kosmider is our guest. He's on the Payless Sugars Hotline. He is a Broncos writer for The Athletic out in Denver. Nick, when you look at, you know, realistically, the team that we're talking about here and the team that you're covering there, Uh, are kind of in similar situations because you're watching these other AFC teams with promising young quarterbacks and you're wondering where the lane is going to open up for you. Uh, Who is more screwed at quarterback? The Colts that are going to have to start from scratch or the Broncos that are going to have to hope that Russell Wilson can reinvent himself? Well, I've
1: commiserated with my colleague who you guys know well, Zach Kiefer, out there in Indianapolis. We've sort of shared notes as the season has gone on. Um, uh, Of course, the, the Colts came out here uh, in week 5 uh played that just ugly thursday night game. Horrible. My eyes are still uh, The game bleeding.
4: that broke out Michaels,
1: yes. <laughs> Scars on <laughs> my eyes. Michaels, shall it forever be known. Um you know that that's a great question. I mean everything that the Broncos sort of do this offseason, um that that's that's sort of the number one question is can they can they fix Russell Wilson? The 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 hope against hope uh here in Denver is that his first season in a Broncos uniform, um, you know, was an anomaly. And and right now, given that he was fired after 15 games and it was the worst offense um, the Broncos have had in years, um, it's sort of, you know, kind of invoked to pin it all on on Nathaniel Hackett, right? Um, You know, especially when you look at, hey, the last two games, the Broncos averaged 28 points. Um, They had a more kind of, you know, cogent offensive game plan, you know, built on the run and play action, and maybe you get a, A veteran coach in here that that can kind of rein Wilson in and and, and create just sort of a more logical game plan, you know, it's going to have to be shown, Um, you know, Wilson, I I think there's some obvious declining mobility, and if he can't bounce back in a a pretty real way, I don't think he's ever going to be a top, you know, eight guy that that you sort of paid for. I think at this point, they got to settle for him being maybe a top 15 to, to 18 quarterback and continue to have a good defense. Um, but but the the book is out. If if Russell Wilson looks like twenty twenty two Russell Wilson again, it's going to go down as one of the worst trades in league history because you're not getting any you know you're not getting anything close to the value that you gave up in order to get him, and because of the contract extension that he signed last September, it also is going to really pinch your salary cap if he's not actually the answer at the position. So it remains to be seen. I, I, I think the the benefit of the Colts right is that you. You get to keep trying things. There's, there's 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 sort of that that you know optimistic possibility that you're going to get it, going to get it right. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think both teams have have major concerns, and it's a hold your breath kind of offseason at the at the most position most important position in sports.
2: Nick, we only have about thirty or forty five seconds left. Is Peyton Manning involved at all with input on this head coaching search?
1: To our knowledge, no. Um, which, which to me is kind of is kind of a surprise. He was a guy that. You know, this ownership group kind of got to know early on. I wrote after their embarrassing loss on Christmas Day um, in in uh, Los Angeles that this team needs to see about Peyton Manning's interest in having a, a significant role. We know he lives in Denver. Um, you know, he's expressed. You guys know he's sort of, we don't, can't really pin him down about what his future plans are with this league but you know he's going to continue to be involved uh, but to this point um, there's we, there's no kind of known knowledge of uh, Peyton Manning being involved in this um, but it wouldn't surprise me if he's, he's been talked to in some way behind the scenes but as of right now he has no um, you know real official role with it.
4: Nick we're up against it but never forget the Broncos have yet to win a Super Bowl with a quarterback that wasn't drafted by the Colts. Appreciate the time man <laughs> enjoy it all right thanks, thanks Nick. Appreciate it.